Hello and welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast, the only rugby podcast that Joe Marler won't appear on. Uh, once again, apologies to anyone expecting Al Kellogg, but if you have stumbled across us like many of you have in the past week, then you're very welcome to stay, put up your feet and enjoy what we have to offer. I am Cammy Black and joining me tonight is Rory Baldwin. Hello. And from GH Media, it's Gary Heatley. Hi there. Uh, you can get in touch with us on the blog scottishrugbyblog.co.uk, Twitter at scottrugbyblog and at Cammy Black, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Gary, how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, just on, on Twitter is the main thing, uh, at G underscore H media is the best way for me. Good, and you've, you've, uh, you're have you've doing your own podcast now. Gary, what, what can people expect from that? Yeah, so I've been dabbling into podcasts for the last few months, so I've done a couple of uh, Six Nations specials myself as well, so that was, uh, they've been quite well received. And yeah, I'm, myself and a former colleague of mine, Stuart McLennan, um, looking at the men's Six Nations and the women's Six Nations, I was lucky enough to speak to Scotland assistant coach uh, Brian Eason. So we talked through the, the women's Six Nations there. So those two have been uh, those two have been great. But yeah, it's uh, it's just great this week that there's so much going on and there's so much discussion as everyone gets excited ahead of the ahead of the tournaments. Yeah, I mean we might as well start with the there's been um, as there is after the Pro 14 and, and in general there's been a lot of shuffling in the Scotland squad this week. Um, so in we've got Henry Pergos, Rory Hughes, Stafford McDowell, um, which maybe was a bit of a surprise, um, and then Xander Ferguson and Fraser Brown are training back with the squad. Um, was that anything there surprise you, Rory? Um, well, yeah, I don't think we were quite expecting to see um, Xander and Fraser Brown back quite so soon. But I guess if they were, you know, if they are on course to be ready in uh, three, four weeks, as people were hoping. I think I'm not sure how much training they're doing. It didn't say that they were officially sort of called up. It was more that they'd be invited to join the the squad as their as their rehabilitation continues. So um, I don't know whether they're going to be picking you know taking full part or not. Um, Stafford McDowell, I think, is probably again he's probably got a training brief this, the same as a same as a lot of the guys that get called up. They they may be rotating kind of like likely Scotland caps of the future in so that they're familiar with the setup and familiar with with some of the, the moves and things, but um, I think Tudis probably knows his team for Italy already. Yeah, we'll come on to that. I mean, I mean, maybe one of the biggest surprises, Gary, was the um, was Alex Dunbar dropping out, not only dropping out of the Scotland squad, but he's been announced that he's joined Newcastle Falcons on loan for the rest of the season. Yeah, it seems, it seems a strange few days from him. He was called in, then was out again, and then, yeah, you say, now off to Newcastle. Um, it does seem that he just needs some sort of change, perhaps. It's him and... You know, Hugh Jones at Glasgow have struggled to get game time. You know, there's a lot of centres in the Scotland squad and in Scotland in general. So, but you know, he's got a number of caps under his belt, and he's still, you know, he's still got the talent. So hopefully, he can, you know, maybe just reinvigorate himself in the next few months. But it seems seems strange that he's out of the Scotland squad completely because he's always uh, done a good job. Do you think maybe it's? I mean, we've talked about this in previous podcasts, Gary. It'd be good to get your take on this. Do you think it's maybe that he's not the not the centre that that Gregor Townsend is looking for? He's maybe the one that Vern Cotter was happy to use, but maybe doesn't quite fit into the the mould of of what Gregor Townsend wants his twelve to do. Yeah, I think you're probably right with that. I mean, I think um, it is going to be interesting in the next well, this weekend. First up, if to see if Sam Johnson gets a run, he seems to be one that Townsend's keen to get involved. Obviously, want to play in the autumn, but then got injured again. So. Um, you know, we've got Peter Horn can play there as well, and you know, then there's also at 13 you'd imagine she Jones, but there's a lot of others into the mix. So he's he's still trying to trying to get that the right blend in the 
in the midfield. Um, but yeah, it just it just seems strange that he's not even in the the extended squad because he's a you know quite reliable performer. So yeah, yeah, maybe he wants to have a look at Sam Johnson in a bit more detail. I suppose it, it, it speaks volumes about the, the, the depth that, that Scotland are building. I mean, um, before uh, Richie, interesting this this weekend as well, Richie Gray played 55 minutes for Toulouse um, and someone was saying that he, he looks like he's put on a bit of extra beef as well. So, so the chances are we might see him back in a Scotland shirt before the tournament's out. Rory? Yeah, yeah um, I think uh, Townsend would be would be delighted to, to have him back fit and, and playing. Um, it's probably, I guess to a certain extent, it'll probably... Depend on how the how the this, the guys he's the locks he's got at the moment go. If um, you know Toulouse and Gilchrist have been absolutely brilliant for Edinburgh so far, you know especially in Europe. Um, but if they're maybe not setting the heather on fire in the first two games, um, and maybe Sam Skinner is looking at at the blind side, then yeah, there might be a place to um, place to, to squeeze Richie in. Yeah, I mean we'll we'll, we'll look ahead to the Italy game because we're kind of touching on it. anyway. It's um... Scotland's opening game, the Six Nations. It's the first. If you go on the blog, um, Kevin Miller, our stats guru, has done a, a wee preview. Um, part one of his preview is out, just previewing the game, and then we've got another part coming out um, where he does a bit of a head-to-head on Friday once the, the teams are announced. Um, but this is the first time Scotland have ever played Italy in the opening weekend, which seems a bit uh, seems a bit strange that it hasn't happened yet, Gary. Yeah, I, I thought they played them in 2000 in the first tournament in the opening weekend I could be wrong but um, perhaps uh, I could be wrong well Kevin seems to know his stuff so we shall (laughs) I will bow to his knowledge but yeah I mean it is strange and with the way it's worked out with with this game and then seven day break before Ireland come it's uh, you know it's quite quite a start for Scotland really Um, you know the players won't be looking any further as they say to Ireland everyone's obviously building up to that one so and you know until they have improved so it's going to be um you know, and four years ago they obviously won at Murrayfield, so it's uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting weekend. You know, there's a lot of expectation on Scotland, so it's uh, it'll be well, it'll be tough, but I would still see us see us coming through in the end. Yeah, before before we get any letters, um, you you are right, Gary. Scotland did play Italy in the opening weekend um, in 2000, but it was away um, in mm-hmm. Italy. So I think yeah. that's maybe what Kevin Kevin. Um, uh, means um, Rory, but maybe this. I think is, uh, the other thing um, stat that Kevin had pulled out is this: is the um, Scotland have only won twice in in the twenty years that that it's been the Six Nations in the opening match. So it's maybe an opportunity to get some that word momentum building. Yeah, start get some get some practice at, at winning in the first game. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe I don't know that that maybe does Italy a, a disservice. Um, I think one of the one of the the games where they. Where they won in the opening game was against Ireland two years ago, yeah. so it's n- recent recent evidence is is not quite quite so um, so so negative. I mean, I, I guess there was Wales last year, but that was that was away. Um, we'll try and forget about that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's uh, it's it gives us, it gives us a real chance to 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 kick off the tournament on the on the good foot. But I mean. Looking at the fixture list, um, it's it's favourable to us if if we get a good start to the tournament. But if we don't, then you know that Italy is the Italy much like Italy targets us as the the one game that, that they that they really you know fancy their chances of winning home or away. Um, the same is probably true for us, having been sort of wooden spoon basement dwellers with them for so long. Uh, I think Scotland are starting to pull away from them. Um, 
and Italy will, you know, I'm sure they will catch up. Conor O'Shea seems to be turning things around into the right in the right directions. Uh, but you know, it's a it's a slow ship to uh, a slow ship a slow tanker that he's got he's got to turn there, and um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how Scotland cope. Um, you know, they're probably not too many games they go into the first game of the tournament where they're the favourite for the game. Um, and obviously, it's, it's you know they're probably used to playing Italy kind of late on in the late on in things. Um, if if they lose to Italy first up, then it's a very tricky tricky tournament from there on in because the teams only get better. Yeah, I mean it's interesting, Gary Conor O'Shea has been making a lot of noises uh, certainly this week, and I think in the the preview of the Six Nations about how how Italy can use almost use Scotland's blueprint. Um, to sort of aid their own development, it's definitely like Rory says. It's a game that they'll be targeting. He's, I mean, he's a clever coach. Do you, and you think back to the Rockgate game against England. Do you think Italy will come and play their game, or do you think they're going to come and with sort of a plan of how to deal with Scotland? Yeah, I mean, as you say, he is a he is a clever coach. It's been quite a tough, it was a tough sort of time since he's been in place. I mean, they've had a, you know some. Some good performances, but they're pretty inconsistent. And I think, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they do come with a, you know, a specific mind, a specific uh, tactic to to stop Scotland playing. I mean, if if they can get a good start, that's gonna, you know, because there is gonna be a lot of people inside the ground who are expecting Scotland to run away with this game. Um, so if they can get off to a good first, you know, first twenty minutes, first half, you know, up front, you know, they're they're pretty pretty useful. So um, yeah, not to sort of steal the, the football part, but yeah, the, the first half if they can keep that tight, then. I think they'll, you know, I think there is now more of an expectation from the Murrayfield crowds, and they may not get on the players' backs, but it will be, um, yeah, it'll just be. It's a bit different now because we're so used to winning, winning home games. <laughs> before, before five, even five years ago, wasn't wasn't the case. So, yeah. so yeah, it's really going to be, you know, you've always got to remember in any game, there's always there's always two teams and there's there's two sets of guys working hard this week to to nullify each other. So it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, and in, and in terms of this, the selection, Garrett, again, we, we've talked about this previously on the podcast. It's maybe good to get your input on this. We the, In the preview, we were saying, do, what what does Townsend do? And I think it's always hard to predict what he's going to do because we never know. But um, with Gregor Townsend, who he's going to pick, how he's going to do it. But do you, do you think it's worth him throwing in a couple of the youngsters to give them that experience against maybe a team like Italy with the World Cup coming up? Or, or do you think he needs to really nail down his first choice 15 no, I mean I would be in the latter camp. I think he needs to nail down his, his best fifteen for this game and um you know get the sort of you know, four or five try victory hopefully. And uh, yeah, it's, I think it's the game for experimenting. I think they you know, we experimented a bit in the first game last year, not in terms of perhaps personnel, but position wise with the, the centres and it didn't go so well and uh, I know that was a different game in Cardiff, but uh, yeah, I think he needs to go with his strongest stronger fifteen. I mean I guess there's there's a couple of young guys like Larry Kinghorn and that that could, could push their way in, but I think in general they'll pick a strong team. It's just I'm quite interested that inside centre if he does go for for Pete Horn or if he does you know give Sam Johnson the chance because although he's uncapped, he's pretty experienced and uh, yeah, so that's maybe the only one I would you know a sort of new face. And obviously there'll be a a newish face to on the bench, but I don't think he'll I don't think he'll be trying too many too many different things. Yeah, I mean, um, Ian Wheeler got in touch on Twitter um, with his suggested 15. So in the backs, uh, Rory, he went with Hogg, Maitland, Jones, Horn, Seymour, Russell and Laidlaw. Um, and like Gary was saying, I mean, I suppose, it, it, does he does he go with Horn inside centre or or does he go with Johnson? Um, I think he'll probably... 
Well, I was going to say I think you'd probably go with Horn, but actually, probably Johnson starting and then Horn on the bench gives him a little bit more versatility. He could use Horn as as ten cover, um, which maybe means he doesn't need to play Hastings. He could pick another. You know, he he could potentially have, say, Horn, Darcy Graham, and Blair Kinghorn on the bench. Um, is that too many? Probably too many. Yeah, he <laughs> no, needs a scrum half. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for, for me, it's quite interesting. To, um, I don't. We haven't really heard if, if Maitland's sort of knock was that kept him out of the Saris Glasgow game was serious enough to to make him unlikely um, to play. There's a there's sort of uh, Darcy Graham is obviously in great form, but is inexperienced. Kinghorn is a little bit more experienced um, and also in good form. The, the two kind of incumbents, Seymour and Maitland. Um, you know their positions could be could be under threat if they're not you know firing on all cylinders. But at the same time, if they underperform against Italy, it's hard to see Tooney throwing you know throwing Graham and Kinghorn in as the wings against Ireland, um, who are you know very different different proposition. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, centres for me, I would I'd like to see Johnson Johnson and Jones uh, given a crack. Do you think? I mean, it's this difficult thing. We might we might go uh, touch on this, I guess, when we we come to the back row and the forwards. Is Hugh the Hugh Jones conundrum? I guess in that you he's maybe in there on the basis of what he has done in a Scotland shirt rather than mm-hmm. what he's done in a Glasgow shirt, Gary, because he's not necessarily been Glasgow's first choice this season. So. I guess from from Gregor Townsend's point of view, does what kind of message does that send to other players if you're picking on, I suppose, international form, or is Hugh Jones just you know such a world class player that that you have to play him if he's fit? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think Townsend will be a bit worried with the you know lack of lack of action he's had since the autumn test, but I think with the way he has played for Scotland, I think he still deserves to keep that slot. Although given the as we've talked about before, given the, the way Townsend likes to be, we're talking about these names, you might well get Christine and then Nick Rigg. You know, you just don't know with, the, with Townsend. But uh, I think Hugh Jones will get, will still have a 13, 13 jersey. I think for him not to be starting for Scotland now with the way that his, you know, his confidence has probably been a bit dented at Glasgow, if that happened in the first game of this championship, so I think he'd really be, you know, a bit of a low ebb. So I think they'll be trying to sort of reignite him a bit. And, um, and yeah, as Rory says, I'm not, you know, Horner, Horner Johnson would, would be would be fine at twelve. I, I don't, I know he's really keen to get a look at Johnson, so it'll be interesting to see if he does start him or, you know, or if he does bring him off the bench or, or what what the scenario is going to be. I mean, what one interesting thing I suppose is a couple of seasons ago we were maybe talking about Laidlaw as not being a nailed on starter, but I think the the more sensible um, amongst Scotland fans and, and journalists now it's almost a given that if he's fit. That he plays, which it's almost like a fine wine. Rory sort of matured with age, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, it was it was really interesting, and that this ties in a little bit with the Hugh Jones point as well. I was having a look, um, setting up the the fantasy league um, for the for the Six Nations, and obviously you can go in and pick your squad already, even though you know the teams aren't out. Um, and if you look at who people are picking, um, the second most popular scrum half pick is Laidlaw. The second most popular centre pick, I think, was Hugh Jones. Um, so people are, you know, people are not afraid to stick them in their fantasy team on the strength of their reputations. So you could probably say that that Tooney, um, Tooney, Tooney will will go with what what Jones has, has done for him so far. Um, and I think Laidlaw probably as well after he kind of steadied the steadied the ship 
um, early on in the Six Nations last year. Um, I think he's he's probably yeah he we know we know what he doesn't we know what he doesn't do and I I get that it frustrates some fans um, the stuff that he doesn't do perhaps but uh, at the same time we need that you need that maturity I think with with who you've got playing fly half outside you need you need a little you need the possibility of a of a steadier ship just in case things things go a little awry. Yeah, um, the forwards then, Gary. Um, again, we'll go back to Ian's uh, suggestions from Twitter. He's gone with Del McAnally and Nell, and then he's gone Skinner and Gilchrist. No, he hasn't. Sorry, but apologies. Gilchrist and Tulis in the second row, then Richie Hardy and Skinner in the back row, which is maybe. I mean, I think we've said Scam Skinner is seen as a long-term number eight down in Exeter, but um, I mean, the I guess McAnally and Nell are maybe na- the sort of you know the, the two first names on that team sheet, but would you would you go with Dell? Uh, yeah, I think he'd probably get the nod this time. Just being the most ex- I say most experienced. I think he's got seventeen caps out of the three. <laughs> but you know, I think he probably and just with the Edinburgh connection that he's had, obviously he's been coming off the bench with Schumann starting. But I think he'll probably uh, start start with Dell, um, and then yeah, second row. Uh, you know, a few people have been muttering about Johnny Gray, perhaps not starting. I can't see that happening. I mean, I think yeah. it's just too important to Scotland. The Gilchrist Toulis combination is great, but I think, you know, Gilchrist and Gray is, is at the minute the first choice. But, you know, obviously Sam Skinner's really thrown a sort of, um, thrown something into the mix with the way he played in the autumn. And, you know, wait, will he, as you say, perhaps he can, it depends whether he wants to play an out and out seven if he plays hardy, then Richie really needs to play at six because Richie's been superb. If he moves Richie across to seven, then Skinner can play six. And I'd imagine at the minute, Ryan Wilson eight, just with, um, you know, it's a shame we haven't seen Blake Thompson, who seems to have been out since since the autumn with yeah. Yeah. concussion. I'm not sure if it's anything else, but he's been out for a long time. So, so yeah, the, the back was interesting. I think, that, I think that front five would be what I would pick in. Yeah, I mean it's interesting, isn't it? Where, what do you do? What do you do with Sam Skinner? Because he's he's been playing six for Exeter, I think, in Europe, but then he's also mainly been playing second row for them in the Premiership. So I guess it's a, it's a it's great to have that flexibility. But if he is as good as he was in the autumn, then you know he would you would want him to be starting. So it's again it speaks what wonders about the depth that Scotland are building, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't selection issues in terms of working out the best combinations. Yeah, um, I mean, it could almost be given the injuries in the back row. He used Dick Skinner in the back row because he can fill a spot there, and we and he's a you know, he, I, I was reading an interview with him um, before, and he you know he played ten at sort of schoolboy level, so he you know he <laughs> he likes to play an adventurous brand of rugby for a you know for a, a second row come come back row, um, and with the maybe if you know if Toulouse and Gilchrist weren't in such good form, and you've obviously got Johnny Gray there and. We've talked about potentially even Richie Gray later in the tournament. Um, you know, you can't. You, you've only got two slots really, and, and one on the bench. So the I mean, there's there's possibly an argument to say you could play Skinner at six, but could you play Richie at eight? He has played a bit of eight, but he's maybe a wee bit wee for it. Um, and play Hardy, Skinner, Richie, and Skinner, Hardy, and Richie would be quite a, an interesting back row. Um, it might be a little bit, little bit too sort of. Too inexperienced, I think. Um, Townsend is a big fan of Wilson, and you know he keeps picking him. So I would be yeah. very surprised if he's not involved in the the match day group in some capacity. 
I guess that's that's the interesting thing, isn't it? And we were talking about before with Hugh Jones, and it's the same with Ryan Wilson. Is the he's he's struggling to be first choice for Glasgow because there are other players who are playing much better than him at the minute. So <clears> that you know you can understand why Townsend would pick someone with his experience, but at the same time, what does it say to a player like Adam Ash, who's having a fantastic season, if he's not getting picked? And that there is, I guess, there's probably going to come a time when when that decision has to be made. Is for all Wilson might bring that we, you know, we don't see whether it's leadership or just the the banter. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it, the, the, there is he, you know, he he's not in the best of form at the minute. So yeah, I can't understand why it, it would seem to go against sort of the the the. the Seem to go against the way that Townsend has, has selected his teams in the past. Gary, do you think? Or... Yeah, yeah, I just think, you know, as we've touched upon with the the Welsh game last year, I can't remember exactly what the injury situation things was, but obviously Coronel de Prius started that game and kind of was out of the loop after that um, mm. at number eight. And I just think, you know, Adam Ash could come back in, but he hasn't played a test for a while. Um, but he's been playing very well. I think he potentially get a bench spot. But, um, and, and, you know, John Hardy, although he's obviously a very good player he's he's just having a good run of games with Newcastle after a while out and is he going to go straight back in at, at seven it depends if they you know they want so I think you know I suppose yeah, the I issue think... yeah I suppose the issue with Hardy is he's an out and out seven the others I guess you could say Richie yeah. Wilson um, even Strauss to a certain extent y- yeah. you can put the, play them as a starter you can stick them on the bench but Hardy's not never going to be a bench player I guess He's going to give you, um, he'll give you a bit of Im- impact, but he does have that thing where he comes flying off the bench and then injures himself quite quickly <laughs> and kind of causes a problem. Um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's interesting um, going actually looking at the uh, looking at the forwards in terms of who the other who fans of other nations rate in terms of picking, you know, picking fantasy teams and stuff. Nell Nell is up there, but pretty much none of the other, none of the rest of the Scotland forwards are. Are near the top of the list apart from McAnally, but it I mean, they actually they don't actually seem to have got Johnny Gray on the list of locks at all. So I'm not sure what's going on there. Super real, I'll have a word with him. But yeah, it goes to it goes to show that that the you know our forwards are not not particularly rated. So Jamie Ritchie, get get him in your teams because like, he's going to have he's a good the, tournament. He's I think. the dark and, horse. And no, yeah, nobody's picking him. He's got zero percent popularity. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Sorry um, to sort of. Uh, to come back to your point, which I've completely forgotten. No, carry on. I <laughs> know. Well, I was going to say, if we look, we look at the bench, I mean, the, I suppose the interesting talking point on the bench, Gary, and you, you touched on this earlier, is who who's your bench hooker? Because you've got Grant Stewart, who has, you know, been sort of put in a very difficult situation at Glasgow. He's had to start. He's had some difficult games, but he's played okay in the loose. You've got Dave Cherry, who's done a, a, an okay job at, Edinburgh behind Stuart McAnally and then you've got Jake Kerr who we don't I suppose Gregor Townsend will know more about him than than we would but he's a bit of an unknown quantity to fans so you wonder who's going to fill that bench spot Yeah I mean obviously with with Cherry having flown out to South Africa to play for Edinburgh last weekend I presume he's maybe not well not not in the mix but he's probably the third out of the three um, but between Stuart and and Kerr for some reason when Scotch was named at first I thought Grant Stewart because he'd be on the summer tour last year. For some reason, in my head, recent days with some comments I've read and things, I just have a feeling Jake Kerr might get a, might get a, his chance off the bench. But I, just because of his kind of uh, 
ways around the park similar to Mac and I, but uh, you know, who knows? It could, you know, it's good to be a big chance for any of them, really. Yeah. Um, I suppose the the next question then is who who the backup scrum half is because you've got if we're I guess we're going to say he's going to pick Laidlaw. Be surprised if he didn't. But do you go with Price or Horn, Rory? Um, well, at the moment, I think uh, I think Price is probably the man. I can hear the howls of anguish anguish from the Warrior Nation. But um, I mean, you know, his Price is one of theirs. They should be right behind him. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, George Horn. Probably a couple of months ago, say November, you know, he was uh, he was looking great, but Price seems to have stepped up a bit, and you know he's he's nailing down the starting shirt at Glasgow now. Um, I think Short Horn has maybe uh, got a wee shoulder injury as well, which is why Pergos was called up to the squad this week. Um, so, yeah, I, I would I would go with Price at the moment because you know he was the he was the man before that horrible Wales game and probably deserves a chance to to show. Um, in terms of international rugby, it's probably you know they both they both come on late in the game in terms of to try and break things up uh, to try and inject a bit of pace into the game, but it's still that problem that you have is that if the game's tight, is that the way that Scotland are going to win the game, or is the way that Scotland are going to win the game by keeping Laidlaw on and making sure they kick their points and play sensibly? Um, it's almost it's almost like you know. The horn and price are the break glass in case of emergency scrum halves. You know, if there if there's if there's a serious serious deficit to be overcome, um, I think if it's I think if it's close, I wouldn't be surprised to see Laidlaw playing large portions. You know, 70, 75 minute games. Yeah, I mean it was interesting, wasn't it, um, Gary, over the um, autumn that um, after the Argentina game, Laidlaw and, and Townsend were both saying that, that Scotland had found a new way to win, and I think in the past we might have expected. Um, Scotland to to do what Roy was saying and, and just sort of like you know empty the bench and and the game would be breaking up and maybe just start chucking it about around a bit but there's maybe a bit more pragmatism to Scotland now. Yeah, and I think you know any team has to have different ways to play and I think sometimes it's just it's having the key players in positions to to know how to do that and Laidlaw's certainly one of those in terms of game management. He's one of the best. So you're right, Roy. I think you know he's going to. If the games are tighter, he's going to play the 70, 75 minutes. And, you know, I wouldn't see McAnally coming off if, uh, if the game's tight. So, you know, um, but it's a great position to be in. I think, as you say, Horn's perhaps got a shoulder knock. He would be my sort of backup. But, uh, but you know, to have him, Ali Price and, you know, Paragos, who's a kind of, um, had a great season and, you know, everyone knows what he can do. To have four scrum halves like that in the squad at the minute is pretty... Yeah, pretty, pretty rude health, I guess. Yeah, can I just can I just be clear here with you both as well? You're both breaking my heart here and saying we're we're unlikely to see a, a repeat of the um, the Hastings Russell combination that we saw in the autumn. Uh, I'd be I'd be surprised if we saw it as as much. Um, certainly, if I would think if uh, if Johnson is you know is a revelation against Italy if he if he does get the start and Johnson and Jones is the kind of looks like the go to combination for the for the tournament. Then I yeah I think Horn will be Horn will be sitting on the bench as as kind of ten twelve cover. Yeah, I mean I, I suppose that the other the other person we haven't mentioned yet is Chris Harris, who uh, he hasn't. Um, I think probably that that Wales game didn't did him a bit of a disservice, and he's, he's maybe had slightly better showings certainly um, off the bench since then. Um, and whether or not we're likely to see him on the bench ahead of maybe the likes of Graham and Kinghorn, Gary. Yeah, I get the feeling he'll you know 
potentially be in the twenty-three somewhere. He seems to Tenzin seems to really like him. He, you know, as you say, that Welsh game wasn't great for anybody. Um, but he, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen enough of him, but he seems to be very consistent for Newcastle, and Tenzin does like him on the bench. But so it'll be interesting to see the makeup of the of the uh, the backs on the bench. Obviously, if Pete Horn starts, then he can cover ten, uh, and you know, you could have the scrum half plus Harris plus one of King, probably Kinghorn. Um, but if you've got Horn on the bench as well, then it's sort of someone's going to be edged out. So, um, so yeah, it's going to be be interesting. But it's just good that we, you know, with twenty plus players listed as injured, we've still got decisions to make on a bench, which is great. Yeah. Um. One, one interesting. It was interesting. Um. Uh, comment on the blog. Um. From Merlo, who was sort of pointing out the, the the difference in the the Scotland team now to two years ago, the last time we played Italy at home. Um, which was Vern Cotter's last game, and he's it's when you look back and you know you've got well Alex Dunbar at twelve who has now dropped out of the squad this week and, and is is off to Newcastle. Um, Tim Visser was on the wing in that game. Uh, Ali Price started at nine, and then you had a front row of Gordon Reid and Ross Foran, Xander Ferguson, um, and the rest. I mean, maybe the rest you got Grant Grill, Chris, Johnny Gray, John Barkley, Hamish Watson, Ryan Wilson in terms of injuries, but it's it's interesting to see almost that the. The number of you know you've got three or four players there that have have dropped out almost of the of the reckoning in in the last two years. So it's maybe um, it, it, it's interesting in a World Cup cycle where you would normally be building over over four years to, to have so, you know so many key players almost disappear, but but almost be replaced, which is you know speaks volumes of our depth, Gary. Yeah, I think just generally players are you know as we talked about right at the start with the likes of Stafford McDowell being brought into the squad and you know Luke Crosby and Matt Smith they're bringing these guys into the environment just necessarily to see it so they know what it's about they're not being brought in cold at times and you know guys like Jamie Ritchie have kind of uh, you know they're adapting to the test level very quickly so I think you know if you're if you're good enough you're in there so I think it just it's not a case of sort of um, leading folk out of the team and others in I think it's just it's on form and if that's if people sort of grasp the grasp the way that he's wanting to play the game, um, then they'll be in. So it's, but yeah, it is interesting to see how quickly it can change in a couple of years, and um, you know, it'll be interesting to see again how the sort of starting lineup looks at the start of the World Cup from from now. Yeah, I mean that's interesting, Rui. I mean it's maybe not something we've seen in Scotland teams, and maybe even under Gavin Cotter to a certain extent. That idea of if you're good enough, you play, but it's it certainly seems to be something that that, that Townsend is sort of not wedded to, but but keen on. Yeah, I think it, it's important, isn't it? I mean, it's important for the it's important for the the players to have confidence that that they're not going to be overlooked for someone uh, on the basis of reputation. I guess we, we've kind of touched on already with Hugh Jones, it, which is a, a, it's probably the trickiest one in that regard because it's not that he's not in great form. We just haven't really seen enough of him to know what sort of form he's in. But every time, or most of the time, he's turned up in a Scotland shirt. He's he's been brilliant. Um, not all the time, but but most of them. Um, so yeah, I think Townsend, and certainly you know in terms of the the SRU kind of system as a whole, they want to be constantly bringing through new players. They want that competition for places. You've got to, you've got to be pushed for your place. Um, you know, we we often bang on about Ross Ford, but he's got a lot of caps because he wasn't being pushed. For, you know, there wasn't anyone of at the same level as him. Um, and now we've we've probably got two who are 
you know a fair distance above above him um and and more coming through younger guys coming through and i think that's what the that's what the scotland setup has been has kind of been engineered to try and produce in i mean it's always going to be small numbers with the player base we've got but if you've got those young guys coming through, they need to be able to see that if they're playing well enough, they get a chance for the, you know, for their their pro teams and for their, um, for the the country. And I mean, it, I suppose it is there is a little bit of a conflict with the, with the teams um, because there is that need to kind of sort of service the national national squad and make sure that the the national players are have enough game time under their belts so that when they do, you know, when they do disappear off the of Scotland duty, they're they're they you know they're test match ready. Um, but the, the, so far, they seem to be, you know, compared to what it was in a few years back, where you know you, there would be a young, say, a young fly half or a young player who, who was who was in form for his club and just couldn't get a cap for Scotland because they didn't they didn't seem to trust youth, and that attitude certainly seems to have changed. Yeah, I mean, I'll put you, I'll put you both on the spot now. Um, predictions for the weekend, then. I'm. I'm, I'm... I'm going to be pessimistic here and say I I think it might be tighter than than a lot of fans would expect. I'm going to say 25-19. Um, Rory, you don't have to be that specific. What what's what's your your prediction for this weekend? Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. I would say, I would say maybe in my heart I'm going to hope. I mean, we've at this at this point starting the tournament, we've got some injuries, but we do we should be able to put out pretty much first choice uh, 15 give or take a few positions. So I think um I'm gonna go for I'm gonna go for Scotland by sort of eight 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 to ten points as opposed to sort of six that you said. Yeah. Gary? Yeah I think it'll probably probably end up about thirty ish thirty, sixteen ish. But I think first half hour maybe to half time will be quite tight just with being yeah. the first game and just I think Italy will be yeah. As you say, this is the game they target. Obviously, everyone targets the first game, but especially Italy with Scotland. I think second half will kind of hopefully pull away, and I think yeah, we do have you know a strong bench to come on if we need to quicken the game up with the scrum halves or the likes of Kinghorn. So yeah, we'll get there, but I think it won't be as uh, easy as maybe some people think. Yeah, I mean the the other game, of course, this weekend um, and and on Friday night we're going to have the kickoff of the women's Six Nations. Um, Gary, it's uh, Scotland, Italy at Scotston. Um, and it's it's live on BBC Alba. Now, am I right in thinking that, that Alba have got the rights to to all the Scotland games, or is it just the home ones? Yeah, no, that's right. Well, they're they've got um, they're filming the home games themselves, and they're also liaising with their broadcasters. So they're showing the away games as well. So so that's, that's really great for the for the women's game. I think they've done BBC Alba's done great things for women's football. So hopefully that kind of helps out. I mean, I think it's um, again it's a it's a good start for the for the women's team with two home games. But I think um, you know, he lost Italy in the Six Nations last year in a quagmire away from home, and then he lost them in November away from home again, 38-0, which was just, you know, I think that performance can be consigned to, to history. I think it was a, a bit of a one-off. I mean, they've since then lost to Canada and, and Spain, but they've been very close games and scored four tries in both of those games. So I think, uh, you know, it's a big, big game for the girls because I think they need, they need a confident, you know, they took some confidence from the Spain game, but the last 20 minutes they kind of dropped off. So, they need an 80-minute performance to really um, get off to a good start because, you know, for them, you know, some of the other teams are very, very strong. So it's uh, so it's a, it's a big it's a big night for them. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The um, 
I think certainly in the last couple of seasons, Scotland have seemed to almost rely on on Jade Conkell and almost like Scotland women's Sergio Parisi. Um, <laughs> but but that's maybe not not the case anymore. It seems to be a lot more um, strength and depth across the women's side. Even you know the the the, the, the central contracting seems to have helped. Yeah, again, I know they're trying to create that a wider pool, and it obviously takes a lot more time than in the men's game. But I think, um, yeah, you know, that until the game in November was a result like that's never a good thing. But I think it sort of made a few people wake up and realise where they needed to get to by this stage. And uh, you know, against Canada, who were in the top four in the world, and against Spain, you know, in front of quite a good crowd in Madrid a few couple of weeks ago, they were a lot, you know, a lot more folk willing to carry ball. I think. Lana Skeldon, and Megan Kennedy in the front row carry well and Siobhan Kaltig in number eight sort of he'll be probably probably replacing Jade for the, the game she misses is carrying really well so they need to need to keep that keep that going into this, this Italy game and and yeah I think it's um, there's more people stepping up now but they now need to do more consistently because in both the both Canada and Spain game they've had 40-50 minutes of a good play but then dropped off so so yeah it's imperative to get that consistency I mean, is are Italy and Spain the 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 teams that that Scotland need to be sort of competing, targeting in the same way that I guess Conor O'Shea is saying that, that Italy would target Scotland, the Scotland men's side? Are, are these the games that, that that Scotland really need to be targeting now? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, it's um, yeah, the Spain defeat was was really disappointing because they were seventeen ten up and they just kind of went to sleep for a bit and then they were suddenly twenty nine seventeen down, finished twenty nine twenty four, but. Um, yeah, these these teams kind of have quite good programs in place, but you know Scotland have got good programs in place now as well, and I think it's it's just still sort of drip feeding some of the players to realise that they are now experienced campaigners. They played 15, 20 caps, and they need to sort of they might still be young, but they've got to really step up every time. It's not just a case of you know played well in one game and then you know perhaps not the next. So I think um, hopefully they've got that belief now, and I think they've been in camp all this week ahead of the game. So hopefully Shade Monroe's kind of uh, drum that into them that others need to step up and you can't rely on you know your Alexa Jade who's not always going to be playing but Lisa Thompson Helen Nelson others need to step up to the to the mark and it's three again three home games uh, this year Italy Ireland and Wales and I mean well they beat Ireland didn't they and they've, they've, they've pushed Wales close a couple of times so those three wins achieve, I mean I'm not going to say realistic but maybe achievable this year uh, I think it's achievable I mean I think um, they beat Wales and Italy two years ago at home, which was at Broadwood at the time, and then last year they won away in Ireland. So, um, you know, so those three teams they've been in the last two years. So, you know, the away games are you know very tough away to England at Twickenham after the men's game, which is seems quite a bizarre, you know, seven thirty on a Saturday night when it could be a Six Nations decider previously. But that's by the by, and France away is always very very tough. I mean, they've got you know they get great crowds and they've got a great team. So, so yeah, the home games certainly, but. You know, even more so for the men's team to get confidence from this Italy weekend. The women's team really needs to get confidence from this performance. So, you know, as they eight tries in the last two games, they've started a bit more expansive. And um, if they can get a win against Italy, then there's no no reason why they can't go into the Ireland game and, and give it a real go. Yeah, I mean that that last I was looking at the last um, the last game against um, England, um, obviously because the, the the fixtures tend to. To align with the men's fixtures, there was a little asterisk at the end of it for a seven thirty kickoff, and I hadn't, I hadn't quite realised that the uh, that asterisk said maybe delayed 
due to the trophy presentation if needed. And I hadn't, hadn't quite appreciated that that happened at Twickenham, that it was, you know, the men's team are rolled off and then the women's team come on to play. So I suppose an opportunity for the travelling support to maybe those staying in London to, 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 to stay on after the final whistle. Yeah, I have seen that before. That they've played after. They used to play them afterwards at Murrayfield sometimes as well. But I do find it very strange. I think you know when you've got a ground like the Stoop nearby. If you had that, you know, if you had the game at the Stoop, it, um, you know, I don't know. I can't remember what time the men's game is at four o'clock, four thirty. If, if you had it at the Stoop on the Friday night or the Stoop at midday on the Saturday, you'd get probably more people down watching it and then wander to the ground. So it seems a bit of a strange one, but you can't really deny you know, it's a great opportunity to play play at Twickenham, obviously, and. Uh, yeah, just um, obviously that's a long way to go, and it's just like the men. It's well, first of all Italy, but these have two home games to start off with, no travelling, you know, not no excuses, but you're you're kind of in camp. You're really almost like a professional player for these two weeks for these girls. So, you know, it's a big commitment for them, but it, you know, it means they can really work on things, and hopefully, come Friday night they're they're on that on that mark, I guess. And is it, is it an opportunity to put themselves in the shop window a little bit, those that maybe aren't centrally contacted, contracted to sort of sort of show themselves off to the to the, sort of the teams down in England who might, you know, take them on board? Yeah, I think so, because I think the Tyrrells Premiership in the last couple of years has grown into pretty, pretty good competition. And there's obviously, I think, uh, there's a couple of the centrally contracted players down there. There's also others down at Loughborough who are in the Scotland squads. Um, and there's, you know, so there's opportunities because... You know the club game is still, you know, they need to be playing a better level week in week out to prepare for internationals, especially with a potential World Cup qualifiers coming up ahead of 2021. So, yeah, I think a few of the girls will be looking at it as a, you know, especially with all the games being live on television and um, the sort of coverage that the women's Six Nations gets now compared to even two or three years ago. Um, you know, the ones who are younger who are maybe just about to finish uni who can maybe go down and go a couple of years and play for for Watts or whoever. So yeah, I think it's a it's a good opportunity for them. Um, do you want to uh, do you want to have a go at predicting the the result uh, for the women's team on Friday night? Yeah, uh, yeah. As I say, it was <laughs> a thirty-eight 0 defeat in November didn't really spark my uh, positivity too much. But I think they've they've learned a lot in the last few months, and I think it'll be you know I think they'll give it to their real game. I think yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be positive. I think I think Scotland can win it. I think it'll be very close, but I think. Uh, 22-18 I'll go for the, okay. for the girls I think they you know although they've lost the three awesome tests they've improved every game and I think uh, yeah I hope with them being in camp all this week they'll be really up for this game Rory I'm going to put you on the spot as well and get you to predict the score <clears throat> um, I'm going to I'm going to go for uh, 13-7 victory okay Bit tight there. Is uh, the weather isn't the forecast isn't looking good for Friday, so that could come off. Who knows? Um, we'll move on. I mean, we, we um, I don't. We're not going to cover the Pro 14 tonight, um, mainly because one Ian uh, Hay didn't do a match report for the Glasgow game just because it was that bad. Was Ian's excuse? <laughs> um, we do have an Ember match report up on the blog, uh, which um, I think it, it speaks of that game. The fact that 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 article has no comments on it whatsoever. Um, yeah. probably the least least said said about that the better um, somebody tweeted me to say that Ross Ford came on and um, showed things up but then he came on and they lost the game so who knows um, we, we, we should probably briefly mention the Scotland 7s though because it's sort of I don't know Scotland seemed to have a bit of a, a, t- a tough time at the 7s recently Gary and you I know you were in uh, Cape Town not so long ago watching them and um, it, it 
that was a good good showing this weekend. Maybe ending up fifth and getting making the quarters. Yeah, as you say, again in, in New Zealand they got the quarterfinals and they've got the quarterfinals in Dubai and South Africa. So in the first three events they've done done really well, and I think it's um, it's quite a new. I mean, it's the it's the, they've got seventeen man core squads, so that obviously is making a difference in terms of the training they can do and the sort of selection issues, not issues, but selection. Uh, they're not having to drag some players in from the pro game and things. And I know they lost Ali Miller and Mungo Mason, I think, to Edinburgh uh, for the trip to South Africa, but they've still got quite a strong squad. And there's there's youngsters there again, a bit like I'm talking about the the women's team. You know, there's there's youngsters there who were on the circuit all of last year. You know, they played the whole circuit plus Commonwealth Games plus a World Cup, like sort of Harvey Elms and uh, Max McFarlane and guys like that who are now. You know, I'm not saying they're season been sevens. Guys played two or three years and they've. They're really sort of stepping up to the mark now, rather than um, just still learning. So I think it's uh, and Robbie Ferguson as, ca- as co-captain has been been amazing. I think he's got eight tries in New Zealand. So yeah, they're off to Australia now, and then if they can get to another quarterfinal, the first four tournaments, that would be a really a really good uh, good result. And John Dale's obviously done a good job with that squad in the last year and a half, and I think you know he's sort of been perhaps touted as perhaps the Glasgow next forwards coach. But we'll wait and see what what happens with that and how it all. How it all pans out. It seems to be the time of year where moves are starting to be announced. So we shall see. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, Rory. I mean, you you watched a bit this weekend, I think, as well. It's yeah. it's that interesting thing, isn't it? That if it, on the one hand, it's great to see it used as a pathway for younger players, and we've seen George Horn and the likes come through. Um, but they do need some settled players in there playing regularly to sort of yeah. have some sort of stability. Yeah, I mean, you, we. I think we talked about it on the pod previously. Um, the you know the the season before when Edinburgh lost uh, when um, the the seven squad lost you know the likes of uh, Scott White retired um, James Johnson Doogie Fife got hoovered up by uh, by Richard Cockrell uh, who, who you know liked the, liked the look of them um, and you know they they lost quite a lot of they kind of and Mark Robertson's another one who, who retired that that time um, you know they lost a they lost that core of experience that they had and um you know Gary's exactly right after a, a year on the circuit you can see the difference in in these young guys i mean they looked they looked a little bit like boys at times last year but um you know they're starting to they're really starting to to kind of gel as gel as a team and i think having that consistency of selection that Gary talked about is is really important as well having those players available there's fewer guys in the squad now um that are likely to be sort of you know hoovered up by the, the pro teams if there's an injury crisis or anything, um, and you know they've got that that core of um, I mean a lot a lot of the guys might not have been experienced at, at international sevens but they've played plenty you know the guys like the Godsmark brothers and stuff you know they've they've certainly played plenty of sevens um, but I would imagine that the step up to the World Series in terms of intensity um, and just you know jet lag and things like that the amount of travelling that they do, um, it, it would be an eye opener for, for a lot of these guys and um you could see, yeah, they all look they all look a lot a lot more comfortable. Um I guess the problem is that the a lot of the other countries now are really starting to take the seven seriously. I mean you can see the USA now they're regularly competing for, for top honours. They're you know, they're in they're on the way to becoming a bit of a sevens powerhouse really. Um Ireland, are even, Ireland, I think, are even banging on the door yeah, now, aren't they? They're, they're trying to yeah, get Yeah, there's, there's, they're in. starting to to get going. Um, everybody, yeah, everybody's everybody's taking it seriously. So the other teams, you know, they're they're going to be they're going to be improving as well. Scotland can't afford to sit still. 
but at the same time, uh, that that continuity and that experience is definitely definitely paying off. I mean, they they, they had a couple of a uh, couple of pretty pretty good comebacks. They had one that one that came off um, against I think France it was, um, where they were where they were, you know, looking looking fairly like they were they were beaten, but they came back, won the game uh, against the USA. They almost came back and they only just lost it with a fairly fairly dubious refereeing decision at the end, um, where he uh, one of the one of the Scotland boys was um, penalised for taking the player out beyond the beyond the ruck. Um, and it was it was a very fine very fine margin, um, but they were they were on you know they were attacking they were they were about to probably score a try and they, they couldn't get over. So yeah, it's um it was it was good to see. I didn't didn't manage to stay up and watch the uh, watch the the kind of the, the final knockouts, um, but saw the the first game where they uh, um a couple of the games uh, on the Saturday and yeah it was. Um, it was good, it was good stuff, and hopefully, as as Gary says, hopefully they can do the same in in Australia. Um, Gary, I, who for you then, Gary? I mean, if, out of that current setup and 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 so far, who who would you pick out to be the next sort of George Horn in the in the Scotland sevens that we should all be watching out for? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think obviously, you know, Robbie Ferguson's twenty four, so he's been around a bit. He's been at Glasgow before, but you know, I think he will at some point come back into the teams program. And I know we've listed about. 20 centres already, so he's obviously if he comes back to the centre in 15s, it'll be tough for him to break through. But he, um, he's really been impressive for the last the last year since he came into the sevens, bearing in mind that that was his first foray into that sort of rugby. And then, yeah, in terms of sevens wise, um, Gavin Lowe's kind of a key playmaker. I'm not sure what the plan is for him in terms of if anyone are looking at bringing him back into the 15s or not. But he's certainly, you know, he could become perhaps the the kind of you know, the Colin Gregor of, of previous years and be, be that seventh stalwart because I guess Scott Riddle and other guys are going to be retiring soon as well. So, yeah, it's just been, it's just good to see the programme really kind of um, kicking on again this year and, you know, who knows with other guys, you know, Cocker's always taken guys before so if he's watching that and having a go, having a look at them then it'll be interesting to see in the summer, I guess. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll move on because um, we're, we're pressed for time as always. Um, we, we, quick, uh, a couple of crap call-offs um, after re- the resurrection of this section last week, um, where we ask you to send in uh, the worst call-off reasons you've had from fellow players or as a coach from your players. Um, we we almost have a Linlithgow rugby uh, special this week because their official Twitter account got in touch with a couple, uh, all from the same person, we're told, um, who has various excuses such as getting a haircut, which I think we've we've had before from someone else. Must be yeah. fairly standard. Um, going pony trekking with his granny. He was twenty. <laughs> he was in his early twenties at the time. Um, and sea kayaking, which I quite like the last one. Yeah, that, that's a that's probably a legitimate excuse. I can't come this weekend, <laughs> lads. I'm sea kayaking. Um, and then we had one for Finlay Campbell, uh, who I think just from um, his Twitter bio and some of the replies from his friends. Uh, plays for Jed Forrest uh, said one of one of their players he did name him but I'm not going to name him on the podcast because that feels unfair um, called off because he had a bruise on his leg <laughs> so yeah that would, that would, that would well on the board, I would imagine so yes um, we had a, we had one where's Dougie Donnelly spot this week uh, which was Scott McDonald got in touch and I've seen the photos a few places actually to say that uh, Finn Russell and Jamie the Butcher Batty, as well as I think Ali Price was there as well. We were at Bridge Bridgeview this weekend watching Sterling uh, beat Hoyk twenty five twelve. Um, I don't did either of you see the uh, lovely interplay between the Sterling and Hoyk um, Twitter accounts this week? 
No, I missed that one. Um, where I think Sterling put a photograph of uh, Stuart Hogg in a Sterling County shirt and tweeted it to the Hoik Twitter <laughs> account, which was lovely. Um, yeah, um, we'll, we'll do Hands in the Ruck then. Um, we've had one Hands in the Ruck, uh, from, well, a couple actually. Um, the first one was from, I'm going to try and find it on Twitter because my Twitter's a bit of a mess today for, I don't know why. Um, hand, it was from uh, Bruce McConaughey who said, the memo from World Rugby that came out this week which made it clear that if you criticise any English players, it counts as a hate crime. I don't know what you're talking about, Bruce. Um, <laughs> no idea. No, no idea. Um, Sing for Scotland, though, which it came up with, and this was kind of my hands in the rock anyway, um, was the new proposed international tournament um, that's, that's apparently going to happen in between World Cups um, and apparently there are plans for this, although how advanced they are or how genuine they are, we don't know at this point, where there is going to be 12 teams, the top 12 teams in the world will play each other and it will somehow encompass the Six Nations and I think the Summer and Autumn Tests as well and there will be somehow um, relegation and promotion as well from the um, from the Six Nations, which I don't, I don't see broadcasters going for it because, um, you know, England had a bad Six Nations last year and only takes you to have one bad year and all of a sudden you've got a team like England going out of it. And I, I can't see broadcasters particularly wanting that risk. That all of yeah. a sudden you, you, you're broadcasting, you know, you're not able to broadcast England rugby games for a year because they're not part of the, the, the top 12. So I don't I don't think I don't think it's a big sale of broadcasters. And I don't know, I like the test. I like the idea that we have, not they're not meaningless fixtures because they mean something because they go towards world ranking points and points mean your, your World Cup pool place. But it's they're, they're, they're one-off test matches and there's something nice about that. I don't think you have to always have a trophy at stake. Although there are, I mean, there's a plethora of trophies. Yeah. There's a trophy at stake in every single one of these test matches now because they, they seem to just invent them. But... um. Yeah, I, I quite like that they're just one-off test matches and you play a team every now and again. Um, I don't know, it would it would kind of... I don't know, I don't think I'd like us to play New Zealand every year because it would kind of take, take away the, the, the... One, we'd get beaten, obviously, every year and I don't think I could cope with that. But also, it kind of takes away the you know, special nature of, of test matches, don't you think, Rory? Yeah, it's it's like, it's like watering... It's kind of watering and down international rugby to have more of it because it's the... It's the the marquee um, thing, and it just seems like the sort of thing that that you know the the English clubs are coming up with quite a lot because they want their product to be preeminent. And but everyone really knows that international rugby in for rugby anyway, maybe not not the case with other sports, but international rugby certainly is the is the pinnacle of the the sport. And yes, I, I can't remember who it was, but somebody pointed out I think that having a world league or a world champion every year um it sort of it would devalue the world cup yeah because surely that's what you use to decide who the best team i mean do we have to know who the best team is every year that's what the rankings are for do we need do we really need does it need to be set of like men every year or can we not just do it every four years um and you know because that that to me the world cup is the, is the best way to to settle it, if you want to know who's best, sort of day to day, ongoing basis, that's kind of what the rankings are for. And I mean, yeah, sure, it would be lovely to see, um, you know, a game between the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere. But surely that's what the awesome tests are for. But I guess they're trying to give it a bit more, give it a bit more weight, give it a bit more meaning. But 
Is it meaning? Yeah. I don't. It's not meaning. I don't. It's 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 meaning that nobody is particularly asking for. Yeah, I guess. it's 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 in it's invented meaning. You know, it, it it's like um, yeah. I can't I can't think of a can't think of a metaphor. But yeah, it's um, it it just does. It seems like there would. It, it it seems to me it's the same sort of thing as the uh, you know as as bringing adding American teams to the Pro 14. I mean, the South African teams are, are working just, but still, I think probably in terms of logistics and all that sort of thing, if they weren't in the same time zone, it would be a, a nightmare. Um, yeah. But it's that, or it's the Super, fif, the Super 15 expanding endlessly to try and hoover in new markets. Uh, and I get that it's a global business and it needs to be successful, but it's also, it's also a sport and they shouldn't sort of decrease the level of the quality of the, the product. Yeah, I guess, I guess that because the, the interesting thing as well is the um, you, I understand why they're doing it to bring in, um, give more opportunity to teams below the top twelve to get a chance to play more tests. But at the same time, you think those those teams below the top twelve can be quite fly by night. I mean, even Italy to a certain extent, you know, the Pro Fourteen had to, I think, it's sort of been reported elsewhere that, that, that you know they had to almost have words. And, and make quite serious threats because Italian rugby weren't investing in the two pro sides and they were constantly bottom and they've said you've got to be competitive and you know you look at Romania were competitive for a while and everyone was talking about them coming into the five or six nations but that was only because they were bankrolled by the government at the time because the you know dictator in Romania at the time particularly liked rugby and it's it's the same you know in Fiji is you know Fiji are a wonderful rugby team wonderful rugby players but at the minute th- there's heavy investment from the government because that's the particular government at the time likes that so the the teams that stay around and have been ever present in the top ten I know we flirt, flirted with the top ten in the past few years but the teams that have tended to be stable and 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 certain of the ones that have had sort of historically had constant investment rather than ones that might come and go i mean even argentina to a certain extent um you know have periods where they're not so good so i don't know gary what's your take on this yeah no it's, it's an interesting one i mean i think in you know in, in world cricket there's so many they play so many games that guys don't even play for clubs and i think it's um you know, i think it's, you're sort of creating something to and you, i think you did you know, we're almost getting to the point in the minute. I think you you start to devalue test matches. You start to devalue things by playing. You know, even you know, I'm it's probably I'm at hands of the rock from last time about the, playing these tests out with the windows. You know, it's just not. Um, it's just all money, and it's it means the best teams are not playing against each other because they don't have players released and things like that. So I think you've got to be careful that you have you know too much too much of a good thing if you like. So um, yeah. <coughs> Hopefully, you know, it's good to see good tests, but I don't think you need to add more in. I don't really think a league table or anything makes... Yeah, because you're not going to get New Zealand going to Georgia or England going to Georgia. You know, so it's... Uh, yeah, I, I like the format as it is. Yeah. We shall see what happens. Yeah. Um, what, what's your hands in the rock, Gary? Um, yeah, well, mine probably, I was thinking earlier, is because the benches are so big now with eight players, is the... Is the subs celebrating tries with the team? And, <laughs> yeah. Because they're already on the pitch for a start, and then they run in and cause a bit of a kerfuffle with the opposition, tapping people on the head, wearing a wearing a yellow vest. It's just uh, I find that a bit strange. I also find it strange when a fullback 
runs in to tap a tight head on the head when he's won a penalty. Um, but again, maybe that's just old-fashioned. But I know a lot of people have complained who are sitting behind goals in international games that, you know, you've literally got... I understand the subs have to warm up, but sometimes they're just standing there watching the game for a while until until a try score. So, I, yeah, I'm not sure how you fix it, but I just... Uh, I don't think 23 men need to celebrate a try. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think it, it just, yeah, it, it's it's. It, I would I would agree. I think it's probably the equivalent of, of patting someone on the head when you've won a penalty. It's not, <laughs> it's not necessary at all, is it? Don't get me wrong. Sometimes if you've scored a great try and you want to celebrate, but I just feel that yeah, those players haven't even been involved. <laughs> I just um, yeah, it's a bit strange. Yeah, um, Rory, what what's your hands in the rook? Well, last week I had a minor rugby entity blowing up my mention on Twitter, but. Nothing like that has happened to any of us this week. So no, it's been quite quiet I'm just this week on social my, media, hasn't it? <laughs> my, <coughs> excuse me, my general disappointment in uh, the field of Twitter, but also yeah. um, the quality of rugby on this Pro 14 rugby on display last weekend. Uh, I didn't see. I saw the two Scottish games. I didn't see any of the other games, but they all sounded fairly low scoring and, and not particularly um, great. I think there were there was a couple of the the uh, cheetahs zebra game. I think was. Um, was quite uh, quite exciting, but yeah, poor standard rugby just the week before the Six Nations, which is obvious because they're all feeding the international squad. Yeah, that's perhaps a discussion for another time of uh, the structure of professional leagues during the Six Nations. But um, yeah, well, it's been good. Another good podcast tonight. Um, thank you very much uh, for joining us, Gary. No problems. Thanks for having me again. Um, we uh, will be back um, next week to um, look back at the Italy game. Thank you to the couple of people who have left us um, uh, reviews on um, Apple Podcasts this week. We haven't had any for a while. Um, one was quite a backhand. I have to say, I appreciate non-backhanded compliment reviews um, like we had from uh, Mazzora Ritchie, who said, a lot better than last season. The chat seems less forced and contrived, and they've calmed down on what came across as compulsory jingles. Um, so <laughs> I might just bring the jingles back just yeah more compulsory jingles. more compulsory jingles yeah um, but Travis Fan I like Travis Fans which is an insight humour reliability just all around the best offering from a Scottish perspective so thank you very much uh, for those of you who have left us reviews yeah. I don't know if they help things it's quite nice that you you know people leave leave us those comments um, we're not chasing them particularly but if you if you feel like leaving us one then please do um if you've enjoyed listening to us, then please subscribe to the podcast on your apps. Um, get in touch with us on the blog, leave comments, and we'll pick those up post Italy game. I think we'll have um, we're going to have Ian Hayes covering the match for us. Rory, is that right? That's right. Yeah. So hopefully he'll be on. Yeah, so we'll have um, yeah, hopefully have Ian on to talk about his match report, and we'll have some player ratings up as well as always. Just one final thing, um, I forgot to mention during the podcast, we are of course doing our fantasy league as always. Um, we're on Super Bruce. So Rory has put out a tweet today. If you look at the podcast post on uh, the website, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk, you'll find the link to the Super Brew uh, Fantasy League. Um, so get in there, register your team. We will cover that regularly on the podcast um, about how awfully um, all us blog contributors are doing. We have like a mini league um to see how badly we will end up doing but we also tend to read out the best team names try and keep them clean so we can read them out on the podcast um but imaginative if you can do um, and we'll read out the top couple as well as the bottom uh teams as well so all the best and good luck with that but uh for this week it's goodbye from me and goodbye from rory and gary goodbye bye